This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. So at this time of the year, you know, you get that moment where, oh, yeah, it's nice. Have the window open. But then there's all the sounds. And for me, there's a lot of construction. Ramya, you say that too. Over in your area, there's always seems to be something they're working on, right? Always construction and changing construction, by the way. The, the intersection is different every day. Sirens too. Sirens and helicopters um, because I live near a by hospital. The hospital. So, yeah, yeah, all of it. It's interesting when you talk about, um, like, the sirens just seem to be more and more prevalent. And and since we've been doing the shows from home, especially during the pandemic with all the contributors, uh, the community reporters, you really do notice some of that. Now, we're very thankful because we use, of course, the, the noise gate uh, with our setup. So hopefully, you know, that you're not always hearing them or oh, they make the sure. Gates. Yeah, I think I think by now all the puppies know how to beat the gate. Yep. Yep, and even uh, cats and kittens are getting involved. Yeah, lots of that lately. Yeah, it's always fun because interesting background things, especially uh, when it startles the person who's ever contributing. They're in the midst of talking, and then if something falls over, bang, you know, or gets moved or whatever, they or, or a siren goes by. It's great because you'll notice them trying to get away from it <laughs> while trying to we do should, their work and not being so yeah. obvious. We should definitely do a top ten. Um, sounds on the show of the year yeah. kind of thing, you know, because when you said toppling over, that reminded me of another thing that happened. Like, I think that was last year. Reminded me a few years ago of somebody who got a phone call and they were trying to, you know, they, they didn't want to answer it. The phone was blaring right next to where they were. And all you could hear is them hanging up, trying to, oh, <laughs> and the poor yeah. person at the other end must have been, what's yeah. going on over there? Why do I keep getting disconnected? So <laughs> that's what we always say, ladies and gentlemen. The fun parts of doing live. So that's Ramya Muthan over there at her home studio in Toronto. I'm Kelly McDonald, host of the program at the home studio in London, Ontario. Let's take a look at what we've got ahead on Kelly and Company today. Brock Richardson of the Neutral Zone. He hosts that program and produces it. He'll be bringing us his weekly sports update. We're getting the scoop on AMI's Tripping on Air contest. We've talked about it a bunch already because it's happening right now, but we want to get all the details on prizes and such with our communication specialist, Greg David. Very interesting topic in hour two is orientation and mobility specialist Mark Rankin. He's going to share with us his experience working with the Argus II retina implants. We've had different conversations with people over the years on the program about it. We'll see what Mark's experience is in hour two right here on Kelly and Company. Well, folks, not a great way to start the show off. And for many of us of children of the 80s who are in our teenage years, you know, we were familiar with these dance movies that were out. The Oscar-winning singer of Flashdance and fame, Irene Cara, has died at the age of 63. Irene Cara from the Bronx. Okay. Irene Cara's own path to fame started with appearances on the original Amateur Hour with Ted Mack, then in the 1970s on The Tonight Show and The Electric Company on PBS. On and off-Broadway gigs followed, then in 1980 she was cast as a dancer in Alan Parker's Fame. But after producers heard her sing, she went on to perform the movie's title cut. 
Then in 1984, she won a Grammy and an Oscar for Flashdance. What a feeling. That from the movie Flashdance with Jennifer Beals, Irene Cara was 63. Matt Wolf, ABC News. Now, I don't remember her on The Electric Company. I wasn't a huge fan of it, but again, there were people who were on Sesame Street, and I think the only one that I recognized on there at the time was Bill Cosby back in the day. Um, But when you look at Discovery, Ramya, doing something, you come in, you're involved, you're a part of a a particular movie, and then suddenly somebody says, "I, I didn't realize how great your voice is, how strong, how talented you are as a singer. Mm. Hey, we're going to put you on the title tune. I know, right? It's pretty much um, incredible how it takes just that one person, that one ear to scout, honestly, right? Like, And we hear about these kind of stories as background when we uh, talk about people who are already big in the game, already famous, already doing amazing things. And then we um, retro and go back and say, oh, how did things get started for you? When did that moment happen? And when you hear about people getting scouted um, and and talent being pulled out and saying, oh, I we need to make sure that this person gets something, that one person makes that life-changing decision. Yeah. I think that was the term I was just about to use. It's so life-changing. And, yeah. w- you know, we don't, we don't think about it that way because it's it's sort of like thinking of they're just normal people like us and they have the same sure. issues, whether it's health or whether whatever, the same areas of, gee, I'm not the greatest speller, Kelly. Um, and there's other people who share it, that same, you know, same issue across the world. But then you think of celebrities and things that they get doing. They were all looking at some point for that opportunity, that chance. And somebody yes. hopefully ha- put a hand out and gave them that chance. Some people, I always think of Taylor Swift in these circumstances because, I don't know, to me her story was kind of funny and there was something about it, right? Like she just hung out outside the production studios every single day, her and her guitar, and people would go in and out, these big scouts um, and people in the scene, the music scene, and she just... She'd say, hey, are you ready to listen to me yet? And they'd say, no, who are you? And she'd say, it's all good. I'll just wait. (laughs) Here's a dime. Will you just go away? No, no, no. I'll (laughs) just wait. And by the way, with inflation, it should be a dollar now. Uh, it, it really is incredible, and it's phenomenal. And I did mention a moment ago, you know, some, you know, have the same challenges as you or I might be, you know, uh, spelling. Uh, speaking of spelling, <clears throat> Marion Webster declares gaslighting as its 2022 word of the year. Merriam Webster's 2022 word of the year is all about confusion and control. Gaslighting, the act or practice of grossly misleading someone, especially for one's own advantage. Merriam-Webster's Peter Sokolowski says searches for the word gaslighting in the dictionary company's website increased by 1,740% over last year. Usually a single event will drive up the numbers, but he says searches continued throughout the year for this one. We kind of live in an age of information, but it's also an age of misinformation. The word derives from Gaslight, a 1938 play that was made into two movies in the 1940s. A man tries to manipulate his young wife into thinking she's going insane to distract from his criminal activities. The phrase medical gaslighting has become popular to describe when a healthcare professional dismisses a patient's symptoms or tells them it's all in their head. Other popular words this year included oligarch, omicron, sentient, and cancel culture. I'm Jennifer King. 
That one really jumped out at me, the gaslighting one. Well, for a couple of yeah. reasons. One, it's, it is such a, an older term. I actually directed that play for a theater troupe um, no several years back. So it kind of like, whoa, whoa. As soon as I hear that, you know, you think about that. Uh, and I think the play actually, people may know it by another name. But it was really interesting that that word, as we've talked about, Recycled again. And so many of these words are, and I love that they do the, this is a word of the year. Doesn't mean it's a new word, folks. Just remember. But so Mm -hmm. many of us will say, I've never heard that term before. Well, no, it's a term made famous in the late 30s, 40s, and 1800s, and whenever. The misinformation part is interesting, too, because I think a lot of us, even just scrolling on social media, talking a lot of mental health, um, our health conversations with Grant Hardy, we talked specifically about medical gaslighting, means keep posting on what it really means. Yeah. And in every time, every era, things are a little different with these meanings. It's fantastic. Up next here on the program, on our Tech Talk, Michael Babcock features the new app, Menus for All. We'll get into that conversation and learn about it after this break here on Kelly & Company. AEBC and Partners present the 6th International Day of Persons with Disabilities Conference, Empowering Ourselves. Thriving in this new reality, December 3rd, starting at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, virtual Zoom meeting, of course. And the goal for this year's conference, ladies and gentlemen, is to share messages, to motivate, empower, and, of course, thrive. This virtual conference will be accessible to all and will feature ASL interpreters, and real-time live captioning featuring a guest speaker, Michael Gothill, Accessibility Commissioner, among others folks that are on the lineup. AMI will broadcast live here on AMI-audio with our host, Joey Gutta. Registration is free at Eventbrite, please. Register or email in case you have some accommodation that needs to aebctoronto at gmail.com, folks. Kelly McDonald with Ramya Muthan. Welcome back. All right. Well, Mondays we check in with some uh, or check in about some tech news with Michael Babcock, and he has a variety of subjects we tap into. And this one, because I think it's about eating, I'm very excited about. So menu for, Menus for All is an app. And Mike, do you want to tell us what this allow uh, app allows people to do? Yeah, I will go into that and and give you also a brief overview of the app's layout. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was sorely disappointed when I opened it for the first time, full transparency, because it said there were no restaurants with accessible menus near me. And I thought they were going to tell me there was no restaurants near me. (laughs) (laughs) My my credit card knows that's a lie. (laughs) (laughs) The app allows you to search for accessible menus in your area. It is available in the United States with 500,000 restaurants and 250,000 restaurants in Canada. Um, The app has a very... Very simple layout. Uh, If I could change one thing, it would be, I don't care about these background images, but I know some people do want to know when there are background images. They seem to be all over the app. Uh, However, across the bottom is a tab going from left to right, a tab bar going from left to right, 
starting with nearby restaurants, uh, nearby restaurant search, which for me had nothing. Then there was a search. There was favorite menus, um, waiter alert light. I thought this was very interesting. Mm. I'll go back to that in a moment. And a more tab. And that more tab is generally the, we didn't have enough room to put it in this tab bar, so we're going to throw it under the more tab button, like a lot of apps use it as. Right. Uh, let's go back to that waiter alert tab. One of the things that they, and, and I would never use this myself, but I could see a value in it. If you tap on that and then you tap the alert, it says, uh, hold your phone in the air and a light will shine for the waiter to recognize that you have uh, needs at your table. Would either of you use something like that? No. Well, I like the idea of it as long as I know that it's not going to offend anyone. And this comes from, and it's so funny because I've had this discussion recently, when I was at the blind school, of course, if we wanted seconds, we put our hand up when I was there. And I still feel that if I was, I'm not going to sit in a restaurant, geez, I need the waiter's attention, I'll put my hand up. And I don't know if that's something would offend, draw attention to where people are like, what the heck is that guy doing? Um, I don't know. So I would feel the same way about the light. Rum? Yeah, I, I think that there are people who wait. Um, what do you call it? Wave the waiter down because I hear it in audio descriptions yes. on TVs. Yes. yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so it's like, oh, this is a yeah. thing. Okay, but definitely I've tried it and it hasn't it's like, worked. Yeah, it's like flagging. There's a certain hand gesture. Flagging. Yeah, I don't know what the hand gesture is. I just kind of wave high. Um, <laughs> Michael, or, or, or I look towards where I think they are. Okay. See. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, a good one. Yeah, if you can hear him, yeah. and and you sit up and get you take your hands to sleep, like so you're waiting for something. Michael, when you opened it up and found no restaurants near you, were you surprised? Because I'm sure that's kind of was, something regular. So I was very well. I, I had mixed feelings on it because of the fact that I I do live in a rural area. It doesn't tell me how far away it it searches for, but there's a McDonald's 15 miles away, so I figured it would have found that. Um, but all the restaurants that are near me are Ma and Pa own, owned restaurants. Mm-hmm, so yeah. I really wasn't too surprised by that. But I did use the search tab that I mentioned and search for city and state. Uh, I was able to find a list of the restaurants in that area. When I tapped on a donut shop, which is where I'll go probably tomorrow after we pick my son up, I tapped on a donut shop and it gave me a list of all the donuts there. Well, it gave me a category list that said collapse and I could double tap on chocolate or vegan or different different options and then that gave me a list of the different types of donuts in that specific category so i suspect a regular restaurant would work the same um and also more importantly it also gave me the current price for the product as well so very interesting and and i'll see if i'll use it at at when i'm in bigger cities where there may be more availability well and and i would also think that in your area it's got to have some kind of thought that general to people using this, maybe using transit, maybe walking distance. So it probably has yeah. a narrow, narrower sphere than somebody, you know, driving a car or, or having access. Does it have a cost, the app itself? It does. And I knew about the cost when I downloaded it, but surprisingly, it didn't even prompt me to set up, you know, those free trials. Uh, when I opened the app, it, it, it didn't even ask me to create an account. I have not seen an app that didn't ask me to create an account in a while. No Anyways, uh, so the cost is two ninety nine US. They do give you a fourteen day, no hassle, no questions asked uh, demo. So I suspect after fourteen days, it's going to say, "Hey, 
you need to pay us to keep accessing yeah. this, which I don't know mm-hmm. if I would because a lot of the times I can get the info I want from Google Maps or, or Foursquare. But it is good to know that it's aware uh, that it's there and that it's fully accessible. I, I think they understand that because somebody living in a place like, you know, Vancouver, New York or wherever may have a lot more reason, may open that exactly. up and it just be overloaded with stuff. You want it to be the yeah, one-stop shop, right? Sure. But we all have to work towards getting it to that level. Um, and can knowing we move that on to the, the data is actually accessible and not just an image as well, because you, you might run much. into that with these other yeah. third-party apps. So Exactly, exactly. All right, let's talk about the Mac. Um, what are some resources to learn the Mac? Because we know you've been using your Mac pretty much full-time, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, begrudgingly, I, I am liking it. <laughs> Quick side note, SoundSource is an amazing tool. If you haven't gotten it, Romeo, go to uh, macaudio.com, I think it is. Check out SoundSource. It's like a virtual mixer, so you can adjust audio of uh, different volumes for different oh, applications. Amazing. So I can turn Zoom down right there. Anyways, uh, so nice. uh, John Panarese of Mac for the Blind has actually published a lot of his videos, well, few, uh, some of his videos to the um, YouTube channel, Startup YouTube channel playlist. And this is a YouTube channel that provides a lot of technology knowledge. You can go pay for some technology training from John Panarese at Mac for the Blind. Uh, there's also, of course, AppleVis and several other organizations that provide training. I've been working with iBug today and uh, getting some training from them. And then, uh, of course, the unmute call that I host, people come and tell me all different creative things on the Mac. And when I have questions about how do I do this quickly, I'll just call the Mossy. So get a friend also that uses the Mac, and that'll help you with learning a lot more. That's awesome. Um, what about what can you learn from the playlist that you mentioned? Yeah, so there's a really uh, in-depth, it's like an hour-long introduction to voiceover, so an introduction to the concepts that voiceover uses, how to navigate the screen in different applications. Uh, You can also get a using voiceover with system preferences, which is good because that teaches you a lot about the interacting and stop interacting models and and using VOJ to jump to different elements inside of the the application. And then there's an introduction to voiceover with Safari, which, um, as we all know, once you get familiar with the basics, the next thing you're going to want to do is use the internet and and expand your your reach from that Mac. So that's just a few of the videos that are available. My understanding is more are to come in the near future. Okay, lovely. And because we talked about Mac, let's talk about Windows 11 keystrokes specifically, a new resources out uh, to learn these Windows 11 keystrokes. So what can we do to be more efficient on Windows 11? So NBP has a book about, it's the Windows 11 keystrokes um, book, and it's $10, between $10 and $12.50 U.S., Uh, depending on the format that you want. Um, Another resource that I think I often forget about is, you know, Windows has help inside of it. You can just type in help in the search. And a lot of times the keystrokes are listed there. And then the last resource that I'll mention for, for learning how to be more efficient with the keystrokes in Windows 11 is if you are using an application or, or a program and you're like, there's got to be faster ways to navigate this, Simply just Google that application's name followed by keystrokes and you'll find some more information about keystrokes that are available. Awesome. Fantastic, sir. Awesome. like to hear that. Um, let's move to your next item that you've got here, which is, I think, kind of cool. 
you can now have Siri read recipes. How does this work? So I was teased. I thought this came natively with Siri, but it does not. A blogger uh, had a problem to be solved. Their name is Jamie Ta. And Jamie wanted to be able to read recipes casually uh, while going through. You know, you you read one line and you want to be able to take those steps and and then move on to the next step. And uh, one of the problems that they faced was the fact that their hands were wet and they couldn't unlock their phone. Or when they swiped, focus would move to a totally unexpected place. So Mm -hmm. they got creative and they used a tool called Scriptable, which is a way to write Java in JavaScript into your Siri shortcuts. And they walk you through on their blog post how to be able to set this up so you can just say, hey, S person, uh, move to next or move to previous category. And they show you how to separate your ingredients from your directions. And because it's a Siri shortcut, not only does it work on the phone, but it also works on the watch. One of the creative things that you can do with this shortcut is be able to uh, read one line and then let's say it, it requires you to stir something for 20 minutes or 45 minutes. It's a lot of stirring. But all you have to do is hey, say HS and then say next step and it will or read next and it will read you the next step. And it doesn't matter how long that you go between these steps or if you do anything else between that. And that I thought was pretty cool. Wow. Okay. Yeah, definitely making it easier in the kitchen. Um, And the Apple Watch, you say, is always on you. So how does it help you with these recipes? Is it exactly what you're describing or is there something more? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. There is a couple of other functionalities, but one additional thing that I use my Apple Watch for in the kitchen on top of these scripts, and I'm, I'm going to set these up here in the near future, is you can set multiple timers on your Apple Watch and name them. So you can say, hey, yep. S, set a 20-minute French fry timer and then set a 15-minute rice timer. That's a lot of starch. Rice timer. But then you have two different uh, recipe or two different timers with names. I mean, who's not to say uh, that we should be having all these carbs? I'm just saying it's winter. We want to be cozy. (laughs) But it's true. And I've used this um, with Google Home as well with all the other ones, actually, just Mm -hmm. setting multiple timers to see if it was a capability. And it's very, very helpful. Yeah, another tool that I use in the kitchen quite regularly is our Nest Hub. Um, But the recipe, whenever you ask it for a recipe, it says, I found this and I don't want to touch the screen. So I need to try (laughs) it with like the Nest speakers. A lady will give you recipes and read them out to you, though, if people are curious. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mike, we're probably done, but do you want to quickly tell us how Google's evolving search? Google is taking more contextual information based on your search. So you can take a picture of a meal, maybe on a show and say, where can I find this near me? And it will look for restaurants near you that might have that specific meal. So creepy things coming down the road and Google is evolving. They say they change search uh, thousands of times a year, which is awesome. Wow. Okay. I mean, I thought it was um, pretty great when you could take a picture of a plant and use Google Lens to identify it, but this is even better, especially in foodie context. Thanks, Michael. No problem. You guys have a great show. (laughs) Bye. My Michael Babcock joining us on Mondays for our Tech Talk. And in a moment, joining us also on Mondays as he does, Brock Richardson, host and producer of the Neutral Zone for our sports update. Boy, he's got lots to cover. We'll do that in two minutes.
Welcome back to the program. It's Kelly and Company here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. That's when we do the live event. Then you can listen to the repeat of the show, 10 p.m. Eastern and 6 a.m. in the morning Eastern time. No matter how you're listening in, we appreciate it, especially around the world, maybe wherever you are, settle back. Maybe you're at your computer checking us out at ami.ca. Thanks a lot for hanging out. Kelly McDonald here, Ramya Muthan. We are the hosts of the show. Monday, our normal stable of, of contributors, always bringing great stuff to us. We've got uh, Michael down for our tech. We'll get back to him next week. But we also bring in on Mondays Brock Richardson. You see him on Now with Dave Brown. If you check out their show in the mornings, he comes on Mondays to sit with us for a little bit. But we know him also as the host and producer of The Neutral Zone. Brock, where are we starting today? What's your lead off? I can only well, imagine. I have a couple of things. Uh, first of all, the... Team Canada won uh, the Davis Cup, which is the tennis equivalent of the World Cup for the first time in its over 100-year existence. And a lot of people are suggesting that this event puts Canada on the map as a nation, as a powerhouse in tennis. What do you say? So uh, I, I would agree. I think that when you beat some of these nations that have you know big names in them, I think that this does help. And our two... Athletes in uh, OJ Aliassim and Denis Shapovalov are certainly the future uh, for Canada, and they literally just proved it uh, this week uh, in in the event. So it's very cool, and uh, congratulations to them. And I thought it'd be a cool story to kick things off with you guys. Awesome. The second the second story, however, is not as good of a story, and that is that the hockey world lost a legend in Boris Salming who had a brief battle of ALS, and I'm really talking brief. It was not even a year from uh, diagnosis uh, to death, so it's a quick situation there. Um, He leads uh, the Leafs in most points with 768, and then he also has uh, 150 goals in the span of 1,099 games. He also did have a short stint with the Detroit Red Wings as well. And uh, it's very cool because he was just part of the Hall of Fame uh, induction in Toronto that they did. And the Toronto crowd gave him such a heartwarming uh, ovation. So those are your two leadoff items. Wow. I remember so much watching him play. I remember the the um, uh, public address announcer in in the eighties. You know, Paul would, would would come on, and you'd hear him say, "You know, you know, Toronto Maple Leafs goal, Barrios Salming," and he just what a distinct way everyone reacted. So incredible to this player back then, and I, I remember him being one of my favorites as as a kid uh, watching hockey. And uh, we've watched as he was in Toronto a couple of weeks ago um, for the recognition and everything that was going on, and he was in his element. Um, really just loved being there with, with uh, Daryl Sittler and everybody, and it, it was just absolutely phenomenal. So Fedora's, of course, off to the late Boryasami. Yes, and just the the overall reception that he received, and he was moved to tears, and, and this is the first um, sighting of Boria for a long time, and I think people were kind of surprised because he was still, you know... Uh, able to you know be part of the ceremony and then uh less than a less than two weeks later he was uh we were announcing his passing so it's just the timing of these diseases can be uh can be unfortunate 
Well, you have some stats, uh, some interesting ones that you wanted to share with us. Yes, let me preface uh, specifically the second one. Uh, there's a reference to a player, and it's referenced as something that was used in this time frame. And so I just want to put it out there that it's only being used because of the time frame we're talking about. But uh, the first one is in the 1880s and 90s, second baseman uh, Bid McPhee took the field without a glove. Let me repeat that. He took the field without a glove. His 600... 6,522 career games remains the most of any second baseman, and McPhee was born in 1859. Without That's the first glove. one. Wow. Yes. Could you imagine doing that now? Like with the with the level of speed that the oh, balls man. come off? The, you, those balls come Unreal. off the bat sometimes at you know, 105, 10 miles an hour, and those infielders are are not that far away. And even if the ball bounces and comes off the ground, you know, sometimes that's some of their biggest problem is, is catching with their glove and then trying to transfer and throw. How do you transfer and do anything when your hand's numb? <laughs> right? Like, the idea is you're supposed to be able to feel the ball wow. to be able to transfer, right? So it's just oh. crazy to think that he did that catching for so long. Catching without a glove. Oh. The second one is... In a career that spanned over 15 seasons, William Dummy Roy was the first ever deaf player to ever play Major League Baseball. From 1888 to 1902, Roy batted 288 with a 2044 total hits and 596 stolen bases. So that's pretty crazy as well. The second part of this, as I'm scrolling, um, then in his final season, while with the New York Cincinnati Reds, Roy batted against New York Giants pitcher Dummy Taylor, making this the first time two deaf MLB players ever played against each other. So those are some stats for, for you guys to uh, Get you thinking, and I'm curious, which of the two are you more intrigued by and why? Ramya, we'll start with you. Probably the second one because it it um, feels like such a huge moment in history, right? Like the two parts to it both feel like such a huge moment in history mm -hmm. um, for us to kind of stack these numbers up and say, um, but here's why it was so special, why it was so incredible, and probably paving the way for a lot of other things with able body or parasport um, because it was such a big deal. Yeah, right. I, I and, tend to agree. And I didn't actually think about the connection of able-bodied and parasport, and it's a good point. That probably was the beginning of, you know, the start of what we now know. Kelly? Uh, I'll give thumbs up to that one. What I also noticed that isn't a, a negative on it um, the nickname, you know, I know everybody in sports yeah, has what's nicknames. Up with that? Well, we at the time in the 1800s, that nickname would mean somebody who basically couldn't hear or was and, and mute. I see. Oh, so okay. That's what it was that to. would be an hmm. attached nickname by the league, the fan, by people. Well, I shouldn't say the league, but by the fans, and because both of them have the same nickname, which is just yeah. you know, I uh, thank goodness we don't do that garbage. 
Nicknames and are fine. I was going to say, so much ableism to think that it just goes right over our heads, right? You like, bet. Wow. Yeah. That's why I prefaced it how I did because mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't want people going back and saying, "Did he just say what I think he said?" Because yeah. yes. back then it, that's how it was, uh, you know, referred to. Which thankfully it's no longer referred Thank to that way. Goodness, you know, like my gosh. Uh, Okay, Brock, sorry. Soccer. Let's move over there and talk a little bit of the World Cup right now of soccer. Canada's two games in. What are your thoughts? Uh, The first game, I really was impressed. I thought that even though uh, Canada lost to Belgium, I thought there was a lot of positive things you could take um, from a situation like this. I was expecting game two against Croatia to be even better better for Canada um and then you know they came out and Alfonso Davies scores the the first goal and for Canada and it's in its uh World Cup history cool all well and good the nation's excited and then Croatia decided oh yes and we're going to add four unanswered goals on top of that which then meant that they lost uh four to one which now takes them out of contention for moving on hmm well, after the first loss uh, in Game 1 to Belgium, Canada's coach, John Herdman, had some interesting things to say mm-hmm. about the next appointment op- opponent, right, which was Croatia, as you said. So what did he say, and what were your thoughts on it? So what he said was, in our next game in against Croatia, we're going to F up Croatia. So a lot of people had some heads turned about this and they thought so a trash talk uh, basically. Yes, exactly. That mm-hmm. that is that is a uh bold statement from a coach who just theoretically, albeit they dominated the game against Belgium, but that's pretty bold uh coming from a coach who just lost a game. Uh with that said, uh then we heard some of the uh, Croatian players Um, saying things like, this is going to mean motivation for us, this is going to fuel us, this is going to be part of it. So my question to you guys, starting with you, Kelly, do you believe in bulletin board material? Because this is something that came out of this, was that maybe it was a little bit of bulletin board material. So Nassai Najuri did this when Toronto was playing Brooklyn back several years ago, and he got fined because you're just not supposed to do that stuff. Um, I understand it was heat of the moment, as as John Herdman would would say, because you're getting a mic shoved in your face or um, with a camera right after the game, and you're excited over what's been going on. You're caught up in it, but as a coach, particularly, I really feel you can't be saying it. I believe you're poking the bear, <laughs> as they always used to say about Kyle Lowry: "Don't poke the bear; he'll come back at you." And and more times, that karma st- to me. Whether you believe in that kind of thing or not seems to be true. Plus, I just think you don't need to say it in our position. We are the 46th ranked team going up against number two and then number 12. You don't say those things. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, I mean, if, if you mean it like that and you're, I don't know, there's, I'm kind of here and there because. If you had friendly competition going, right, and let's say uh, the two coaches were friendly or the teams were friendly or the the league itself was friendly, then having this kind of friendly trash talk, I guess, could be, you know, silly and and people can hop on it and it just it becomes 
fun. But if it, that's not the case and this coach is just, like you said, Kel's, you know, an, an emotional high and then saying, yeah, we're going to F up Croatia. I don't know if that's necessarily yeah. warranted. And it's probably something you're going to re- regret later anyway. Yeah. Uh, inspiring your t- your players <laughs> is one thing. I just think there's other choice of words to, you know, we're very proud of our performance and we eagerly are excited to bring on. I think that's a different way to say that kind of thing if you want to encourage your team without going that route. And it's just, come on, it's just just trashy. But then, then it becomes, if you're John Herdman, you're walking back to the mic after the game against Croatia and the first question presented to you was, do you regret your comments? And he basically said, no, there's an admiration between uh, both teams. And I was just firing up my guys. I could have come at this in a different light. That's not the same tune you were singing, you know, uh, when the first game against Belgium ended. So, I mean, you know, you have to be careful because at times you are going to then, if you if you lose the the, the, the bet, if you will, then you're going to have to walk it back and say, well, actually, I didn't really mean that and there's a bunch of admiration and as far as the admiration goes no there wasn't because there was Croatia said we'd like to thank you know John Herdman for you know giving us inspiration (laughs) Croatia papers had John Herdman uh, completely naked in them and then covering them up (laughs) with uh, Canada flags I mean they were just having a heyday and so nobody was happy about this at all in any way shape or form it's just a bad look and yeah yeah. Real quick, sir, what's coming up on the neutral zone? Uh, we're going to be having a great conversation uh, today regarding the uh, World Cup. And uh, yeah, we're going to be chatting with a judo athlete as well today. Awesome. So that's all coming up on Tuesday's edition of the program. You can find it here on AMI-audio, 11 a.m. in the morning, also available to you as a podcast and on YouTube. Brock Richardson hits us with the latest sports updates on Mondays. Plus, check the gang out, as mentioned, Tuesday, 11 a.m. in the morning, right here on AMI-audio. In just a moment, we get the scoop on AMI's tripping on air contest that's running now. We uh, visit with our communications specialist, Greg David, in a moment. So we've got a couple of more weeks, including this one, of Kelly and company on the air. But remember, we always want your comments, ladies and gentlemen, especially if you have thoughts over our six years here as Kelly and company before we uh, start being simulcast as Kelly and Ramya uh, on January 9th. You can reach out to us, one 509 Mention it's for our program, please, and give us permission to use your message, one 509 We'd love to hear from you. Also, ladies and gentlemen, feedback at AMI.ca in case you want, well, our upcoming guest or any of the gang over there at Communications or Marketing to reach out to you, you can give them a call, 1-866-509-4545. And, of course, you can find us via, via the Accessible Media Inc. Facebook page. Check it out, like it, interact with it, and there's lots of good content there for you. That's the Accessible Media Inc. Facebook page. Kelly McDonald here with Romeo Muthan. 
Well, on Mondays, as we're talking AMI, we love to give you heads up and deep dives into initiatives that AMI is, um, you know, taking part in, whether that be shows or projects or contests. So we're keeping you posted on all of that. Let's take this opportunity to talk about the Tripping on Air contest with AMI communication specialist, Greg David. Greg, how's it going? I'm doing ve- doing very well, thanks. You're going to get a double dose of me. We get to talk again on Wednesday. That's right. Exactly. So much going on. But specifically about this Tripping on Air contest, because we want to hear about prizes. It's very, very exciting. But before we get into the prizes, let's talk about mm-hmm. the contest. Um, give us the gist of it. It's our friends from Tripping on Air. We know it's available on AMI-audio uh, as a video podcast. What's going on with the contest? Yeah, sure. So why don't I give a little bit of background? I mean, you you greatly just mentioned, thank you, you know, the, the people can find the podcast and that it's a video podcast, but just a little back, a bit of background on the podcast itself. Um, mm-hmm. Ardra Shepard, who is the uh, great host of Fashion Disc, which is actually, uh, they're in the middle of casting um, the second season, which you know uh, right now. Um, Ardra is a member of the multiple sclerosis community, and every month she puts out a podcast with her co-host and friend, Alex Hajar, and Alex is married to uh, someone who is in the MS community. And every month they get together to just talk about what it's like to live with MS. Um, they also have friends come on, experts uh, to discuss uh, what it's like to, to live with MS. Um, sometimes the conversations are very serious. A lot of times, if you know Ardra, there's a lot of very sarcastic humor in involved uh, in that. And uh, as they say, Tripping on Air invites the cool kids of chronic illness to tune in, hang out, have a laugh, learn some tips, and above all, feel seen. So check out the Tripping on Air podcast. But yeah, let's get into this contest. Every year, Ardra, through her Tripping on Air blog, holds a contest where she gets swag from companies that she supports throughout the year in the MS community, and she gives stuff away. Well, this time, she's partnered with AMI to do this giveaway. And uh, so we're in the last days of this giveaway, and the whole point is we're giving away some really great stuff, as you've been saying, and thank you for mentioning it on air uh, every day. Uh, The contest is closing this week, and we have a bunch of really cool stuff that we want to give away to people oh boy well i I know we we promote it you're welcome um the best of luck to everybody who enters and what a wonderful really wonderful event and thing to do every year at this time of the year i'm sure so many people look forward to it uh but greg we have to admit there's got to be the people out there saying like what like what what are the things that are being given away yeah, so I would say that the the one at the very top of everybody's list, and, and for the people that are signing up, this is the most popular item. It's a bi-acre carbon ultralight rollator in holiday red. What is a rollator? If you picture in your head a walker that somebody would use, except that this has wheels, so it is a lot more mobile. It is equipped with handbrakes, so you have control over how quick or how slowly you roll. There, uh, It's also completely foldable, so it's easy to get in and out of vehicles, um, in and out of the house, through doorways and things like that. It has a built-in seat, so if you need to sit down and take a rest, you know, check your phone, call somebody, whatever, um, you can sit on that. And it also has a couple of carrying handles as well. Um, as it says in the description, it's, it's in holiday red. And I'm just going to look really quickly and see what the... 
Um, I believe that this is available. I just want to scroll down and just see. This is worth six hundred and seventy nine dollars US. Nice. Which is probably wow. with the yeah, that's probably close to I don't know eight hundred nine hundred dollars Canadian. So I would say that that's the top of the line gift that's available in this giveaway. That's uh, that's wonderful because you know what a generous and useful thing to be giving away for for listeners out there, Greg. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the the next thing that we have on the list is a, a one-year subscription to Fashion Magazine, which of course Kelly, you and I are both fashionable and know all about this ma- oh, all of about course. this magazine. Styling. Hells yeah, you are. Styling. <laughs> yeah. Look yeah. at those fedoras, man. Look. Covers oh, I forgot. Head. Yeah. You're actually a lot more fashion forward than I am. I'm wearing sweatpants. I'm wearing sweatpants and a hoodie right now. Um, so there's a, a subscription to Fashion Magazine for a year. There's a, a Magnify MS necklace. There are three of those to give away. And this is a small round pendant that features a hand-cut uh, multiple sclerosis cell encased in resin on a silver chain. So there are three of those that are available. Wow. And ten, uh, and uh, for every Every uh, Magnify MS necklace that's purchased, so there have been three that have been purchased, 10% of the gross profit is being donated to the National Multiple Sclerosis Foundation. I love it. I feel like there's such a variety of things going on here. Um, and so it, it's the same for everybody, right, Greg? No matter how you, what you want or um, which part of these prizes you're interested in, are we all applying the same way? Yeah, yeah. If you want, I mean, I, yeah. So let me give some of the information about how people yeah, can can us. sign up, and then uh, and then maybe we can go back to some of the items because there's a total of 13 items. So if you go to ami.ca/toacontest, and again, that's ami.ca/toacontest. That gives you the the details. The contest closes December the 1st, which is like two days away or three days away at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. Um, You can sign up. And basically, when you go to this page, you put in your name and your email address, and then there are check marks for the things that you want to enter. So you may be interested in the Rollator and the Fashion Magazine subscription, but you might not be interested in a couple of the other items. So you simply put a check mark next to the things that you are interested in having your name entered for, and you hit submit and then your name gets added to the list of people that have uh, have or have signed up uh, to be part of the contest okay um greg you guys are slipping a little bit i noticed too we've been reading the the promo for it and it doesn't say anything about ami staff or people connected entering the contest and you've got to watch certain co-hosts use those as yeah, there, there's and multiple shows. entries per day no uh, no, uh, there's no, only, no, one. No, oh. one, one entry per day. That's one written. entry per day, and <laughs> you and anybody that works for AMI cannot, uh, cannot uh, put their Didn't names in, but family part. can. Family can. Uh, there you go. Okay. See, see, that's the loophole. Yeah, and now, now Thank we won't you. see this open loophole before that. <laughs> we won't see that again. Craig, who else though can take part in the contest? Are there any other restrictions? No, no. I mean, the only other restriction is that you have to be uh, only one, uh, like I said, one entry allowed per person per day. You have to be 18 years or older to enter the contest, and the contest is open to legal Canadian resident residents only. Okay. Um, that does include Quebec, um, but yeah, it's just for shipping reasons. We can only we, you know, we're going to be shipping these prizes if they're physical prizes uh, just throughout the country of Canada. Okay, so n- no offense to our friends to the south or anyone else listening in around the world to the program. No, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
All right. What are some of these other items you were mentioning? Okay, so we've got a, a leather uh, a leather fanny pack and a luggage tag made by uh, the com- the company's name is Ronsi. Uh, it's actually black vegan leather, so it isn't real leather. It's a, it's mm-hmm. vegan leather, um, so that is available. Um, the healing journal. This is really interesting. We have two of these that are available. It's a dynamic illustrated guided journal to empower those living with chronic illness to cope with the ways that illness impacts daily life. It's uh, providing an outlet for to readers to freely express their experiences related to illness and enables them to explore their own strength and resilience. And research suggests that writing expressively and sincerely about personal struggles and traumas improves physical health. Wow, we know all about that, don't we? Anybody that writes a diary or, or you know, kind of does voice memos to themselves every day and daily affirmations uh, certainly knows um, the strength of, uh, of working on a journal every day and how that mm-hmm. can help you with your, with your mental health. Um, and one of the other ones that I wanted to spotlight, one of the other prizes, is a professional portrait photo shoot with Costachin Photography. Now, we're giving away one of these. Um, you need to be able to get to Hamilton, Ontario, because that's where the, the company is located. But uh, that's a high-end prize as well. If you need to work on your headshots, you want to get that portrait photo shoot in time for your Christmas cards, um, you can uh, sign up for uh, to win the, uh, the, the photo shoot. This is so great. Um, I'm loving all of these, you know, the experiential gifts, the the physical gifts and all these other things. And the donation aspect you mentioned a bit earlier on proceeds from some of these um, gifts mm-hmm. items. So any other ones? Was that it or was there one more you wanted to highlight before we go? Sure. Yeah. Why don't I highlight one more? Um, it's called uh, Live Well uh, with MS Foundations Program. And this is, uh, there's a, there's one of these is being given away. It's a 12-week Live Well with MS Foundations Program. And uh, you'll receive information uh, vetted by a physician and person living with MS. And they coach you through, uh, coach you to implement the lifestyle tools, tools, excuse me, that support your body at the cellular level, all with a community of people working to live well with MS. It's an online program with video modules, weekly Zoom meetings for support, and uh, and it, like I said, it lasts for 12 weeks. So the guy, the guidelines of this giveaway are all uh, you know revolve around MS because that's you know part of Ardra's life, um, and so mm-hmm. they can either be for yourself or you can be uh, you know a secret Santa and give away uh, a prize, one of these things to to a family member or someone that you know with MS. Okay, there Greg. You go. And- both Arger and Alex can attest to that, Alex being a family member of. Sorry, Kels. Oh, I was just going to ask, Greg, how do people know if they won? Oh, great question. So once the contest closes, we'll be contacting the winners via email because they've been giving us their email addresses. So we will do, we'll be doing that. And uh, and then we'll be building a page on the website that's going to list everybody um, uh, that, that won. And like I said, yeah, if you're chosen as a winner, we'll be contacting you. Okay. And last moment that you can enter. Uh, December the uh, December the first at eleven fifty nine p.m. Eastern is the cutoff date. So you wanna you wanna hit send at like what eleven fifty eight? I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. Sounds good, Greg. Thanks for all the details and the scoop Thanks on the prizes. Me. Greg David is our communication specialist, and he was telling us about the Tripping on Air contest. Keep posted details to come as we uh, tell you where to go to apply. Forget that, 1158. I have too many things I'd check off. Coming up in the next hour of the program, orientation and ability specialist Mark Rankin shares his experience working with the Argus 2. 
Kat Owens is a lawyer and a project director of Leaf's Reproductive Justice Project. Danielle McLaughlin speaks with Kat about the Supreme Court case which focused on sentencing of Indigenous people who have been convicted of certain criminal offences. Up next, Kim Hovey with her Community Report. Another week on the program, ladies and gentlemen, Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts. Thank you for being with us as we get into it on our Monday edition of the program, wherever you're listening, and thanks for doing so. Hopefully you're using TuneIn Radio, OO Tunes, if you have to, especially if you have to jump out. Maybe you got to go do a few things. Take us with you, folks. Keep it in mind all the time. Download either of those apps or both of them uh, to your smart device. On Mondays and Tuesdays, we have the privilege of visiting with our community reporters. Those folks bring to us some great stuff from their regions. We get a chance to hear what's going on and some of the things that they'd like to talk to us about and share with us from their areas. Uh, Today, Kim Hovey joins us with news from Dawson City over there in the Yukon. Kim, welcome back. Um, We'll see if we get her there. Uh, There we go. I think uh, Kim, welcome back. Well, thank you. We've got a bit of a, a little bit of a blip with the, uh, we don't go with daylight savings up here in <laughs> Yukon now. Right, <laughs> right. You guys, how long has that been? It's only been like last year, I think, is when it became official. Wow. We're excited for it to uh, <laughs> come here at some point because the discussion for having it has uh, been probably now a decade to a century. Uh, so <laughs> it just seems like something we've talked about forever. But with that in mind, for people who may want to travel there and maybe get some vacation time, you guys have a very distinct and interesting rating that's been going on here. Reader's Digest uh, rates Dawson City as number two out of 20 Canadian cities to spend Christmas at. Yes. And so tickle my fancy (laughs) Um, because I do believe up here in Dawson, we do have a a beautiful Christmas community. And so that was a very interesting read uh, with Reader's Digest. Number one being Quebec city. And in the top five, Ottawa was also in there um, so I feel like I've been groomed to be <laughs> a, a Christmas type of girl, and it doesn't hurt that my birthday is December twenty first too. Wow! So. Wow! <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, that's and that's of course our, our introduction to winter anyway on that day. But give us an idea, Kim. Some of the things that you feel really make it unique in Dawson City that somebody's sitting there saying, oh, "I'll believe it when I see it." What they would see, what they would experience that makes it that special way? Well, as you know, winters are long and cold and dark. Um, But up here in Dawson, we do have, of course, the Northern Lights to (laughs) dance us along and make us very happy. And we've got lots of history, too. And we really use that to our advantage and celebrate. So um, 
the national parks. They have lots of uh, festivities going on. And um, we have lots going on in town as far as um, one of the big things is what we call a flotilla, which is a boat parade. And so they decorate their boats, and that's our Santa parade is with boats. So that is just awesome and lots of fun. And when the Northern Lights are out to complimented it's just a, a beautiful combo is that ever special i i always love what people do what what is unique in any place uh whether you know in the middle of summer or in this case at at christmas time uh, i think that's just tremendous so as an individual have you always been a christmas person or really would you say it's the nature of this community this town and that's pretty interesting the others ottawa quebec city up there um but i i would think mm-hmm. in a snap in a minute i'd say well, it would be cool to be in a place that really could give itself to that time. In Quebec City, Ottawa, there's so much other things going on. But in in in, in Dawson, am I right to say what a committing to that time of the year you guys could give? Totally, and it does it does cherish every every member of the community and whatever their beliefs are. It's just we all get together and share time and laughs and music and beverage. And it's just a great time. And people are giving. And um, it's it's just really beautiful. Like, there are there is a homeless community here in Dawson. And even they are enabled to participate because they have... Uh, Christmas meals uh, throughout too, and encourage um, everybody in the community to join. That's really, as Kelly said, special. It's powerful. It's also wonderful to have um, such a highlight, you know, for uh, for Dawson City being recognized, which is incredible. But let's keep going with this, Kim, because there's a lot that people can mm-hmm. uh, check out. And the the celebration of lights in Dawson City, where you come together at Minto Park to celebrate the beginning of the holiday season. Yes, and that is a big draw. And they make it such a, a beautiful event, and they have everybody included in it. Um, they have gingerbread house decorating contest and it's also the launch for the 12 days of christmas um which is a big festivity for us here too um and santa claus does come up from time to time come over not up but over (laughs) so uh he is expected to be on the roster for the celebration of life or life sorry um So that should be a fun time, too. I think the gingerbread decorating contest is what sticks out to me because I don't think we've covered that with uh, any report yet. And I, uh, it's, it's always a throwback because when you're kids, uh, it's a very favorite activity for teachers to bring, um, for kids to do. You know, it's very interactive. And then at the end of the day, you have something to eat. So <laughs> it's really amazing that... Well, um, 
And you'd it's be covered. surprised at what they come out with. Uh, we've yeah. had gingerbread houses that are uh, like in the shape of the downtown hotel or <laughs> the hospital or the lodge. Like it's just, it's beautiful oh what gosh. people can come up with and create. Lots like of landmarks. Yes, yes. And that's what makes it so Dawson City too. People will pick the cream of the crop from the town and just, you know, really use it to their advantage. And everybody recognizes it. So it's it's beautiful. That's so fun. Far from the kinds of gingerbread houses I was building, um, where I'd give up and just start smearing things all over. And so, oh, but that's so much fun, too. Yeah. No, definitely. But ami.ca slash kellyco um, so people can get the information on that one. We are horrible as children with the gingerbread houses. You know, you just come up, rip a piece off, you, but everybody's hands were on it. Now you think, oh, know, my goodness. Oh. Absolutely. Oh, Kim, let's move into your last one because maybe you're looking for that gingerbread house. What a better place to maybe find one is at an outdoor Christmas market. So this is a fairly new thing that we that Dawson has come out with. And so they do tents, beautiful, um, for for what it is. And I think it was COVID actually that kind of brought this on because we used to do just in the school gymnasium and it was just a big everybody would set up a table and uh, a lot of people, but this way, outdoors, it's COVID friendly. Every retailer has their own tent, and it's just such a special and beautiful um, event because every little tent has its own feeling and what they want to um, relay for Christmas and portray, which is what makes it magical too. Man, what what a venue. What a way to do it. And I know a lot of these things, Kim, inspired because of concerns of what well, right now we've got multiple things to be concerned about that, that people can catch in indoor circumstances. Um, but if you have that space and in an environment where people are used to that, that, that the temperatures dealing with things and um, having a lot of fun and, <clears throat> excuse me, being the second most uh, reliable place to go to to have a Christmas experience. Uh, I think this is beautiful. Um, What do you look forward to in this kind of an event? Oh, definitely the crafting. To see all of the beautiful decorations and crafts that people have made, Um, you really see their talent, and that's beautiful. And there's just so many fun things and and everybody goes. So there's lots of conversation. Uh, There's a bonfire. There's wagon rides. Um, There's, um, what else is there? There's an outdoor skating rink as long as weather permits. That's one thing that um, is a draw for sure. Um, And drinks and treats also to eat so there's always lots of good stuff sounds absolutely great (laughs) yeah income but the time and these are these are great uh this events and we're looking december 8th to 10th uh thursday and friday uh 6 till 9 p.m and then um was it 11 until 3 p.m 
11.30 a.m., excuse me. Uh, Kim, we'll put it up on the blog, ami.ca slash Kelly Co. Thank you so much for uh, reporting in and teeing us up for us. Kim Hovey, our community reporter in Dawson City, Yukon. Remember to check out our blog, as I mentioned, ami.ca slash Kelly Co. Up next, orientation and mobility specialist Mark Rankin, and he's going to share his experience with working with the Argus II retinal implants. We'll talk to him after this. Catch the Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. This week, Marsha Yale, National President of the Alliance for the Equality of Blind Canadians, and Keenan Weller, co-leader uh, of Live Work Play, previews the 6th annual, we were talking about it earlier, International Day of Persons with Disabilities Conference scheduled for December 3rd. That's the Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern here on AMI-audio, 10.30 a.m. Pacific, and also available on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube. Kelly McDonald here with Romeo Movin. It's the fourth Monday of the month, which means we're checking in with Mark Rankin, and he's our orientation and mobility specialist who joins us to talk about um, all kinds of things that have to do with O&M and the community and Mark, we last month gave people a bit of a an overview, right? A heads up on the kinds of conversations that we'll have. But today you wanted to cover something very specific, and it's your experiences working with the Argus II retinal implants. Um, so I'm curious to to cover this and to hear about why you wanted to cover it. But before we get started, not even on the product, can we hear about the company behind the product? Because this is uh, the launch off point for for context on why you picked this. Yeah, so um, the, the company that, that came up with, with the Argus uh, to retinal uh, prosthetic implant was, was Second Sight. Um, Mm-hmm. And kind of the reason why I talk, want to talk about them is because they went through uh, a huge uh, and unfortunate restructuring during um, the financial uh, difficulties that, that the, uh, a lot of people had during COVID, where they lost funding and then they had to um, end up, there was actually a, a merger that fell through and then finally another merger that uh, they did do with another sort of biopharmaceutical company. Um, and because of that, it, it came out, and you know, the mainstream media picked up on some of the issues uh, resulting from that, with the um, sort of lack of support for for people who had signed up for this sort of experimental uh, procedure and device. Um, and I was actually one of my kids who came across it and said, "Hey, didn't didn't you have people who had this sort of thing?" I was like, "Oh my gosh, yeah." Um, right. So yeah, I, I thought it'd be kind of an interesting uh, topic because it's something. It's a, certainly. Um, there's a lot of interest in these directions, right? Where technology is becoming the fix for pretty much for everything. Um, yep. But there's there's a lot of pitfalls with it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm. Uh, so the company went through their restructuring. So tell us what the device is. Maybe we can start there as well, and then we can get into the context of technology and the pitfalls and um, how much we're on board or off board of it. Yeah. So, so the Argus itself um, was sort of a. It, I mean, it was it's a complicated system. It's um, 
essentially what you had was um, uh, a set of glasses um, that were connected to a VPU, a visual processing unit, which is a little kind of computer on a belt. Um, but the real, the real heart of the thing was a, a set of uh, electrodes that were on a little array, a 10 by 6 array of these electrodes that were implanted, surgically implanted directly into uh, the retina around the macula, right, of, of people's okay. eyes. So it only worked for folks who had RP and were at the point where they had bare light perception or, or, or less. Um, and what it was doing was stimulating, like, I think the, it was sort of the deeper layers of the retina. Um, and what people would perceive was was just sort of, I mean, it was called black and white vision, but it was really light and dark vision. So um, okay. you would see these sort of 10 by 6 array would light up a little bit. If, if there was a high contrast environment, you saw something sort of light against the dark background, it would show up there. And you could manipulate the image to the way you could, say, with a, a closed circuit uh, television. Uh, so people use CCTVs as a reading aid. You could, you could switch the polarity to do black and white, and you could enhance contrast, do a few little things like that. Um, the vision it produced was not really, I mean, it got picked up initially, uh, in mainstream media as kind of like a bionic eye, mm -hmm. right? So, um, mm -hmm. they interviewed a guy, I think he was in North Carolina or South Carolina. They did quite a few operations. There's only about a little over 350 people worldwide, um, had the procedure and the, and the implant. Um, uh, in a fair number in Europe, uh, in the States, and then I think up here in Canada, it was just in Toronto and Montreal where they were doing the operations. But um, there was a guy who got interviewed after he got the implant, and the whole interview was picked up on one of those morning TV shows, and it was, of course, the guy saying, oh, my God, I can see, and his wife saying, you can see, and he's like, oh, my God, yes, I can see. Well, yeah, so he's seeing light and dark uh, in a very small array, but it's people hear that and they think, this guy seeing right um so it created some really unrealistic expectations amongst the general public and we had all sorts of people contacting us saying oh you know my my wife i wanted to be able to see again so would she be a good candidate for this and you know what he what he was when he said i see you would say i can see my wife on the couch what he was saying was i can see my wife's wearing something light on a dark couch and i can see a light yeah. <laughs> portion in my in my visual field against a dark background now my right. wife was talking, so I know it's my wife. But mm -hmm. had she left and thrown a, you know, a blanket there, he would have probably said, "There's my wife." <laughs> right. Yeah, well, and so, you had to be taught to interpret what that what the eye was picking up. Whereas people would think, especially once it was branded the bionic eye, they would think back to the 1976 Million Dollar Man series, and oh my gosh, it must have been like Colonel Austin's eye, and exactly. not not true. Yeah, yeah. So you know. Contextualized, you could. It, it did make a big difference for a lot yeah. of people functionally, um, because you know things that would happen that would be quite useful from a rehab perspective would be, say, you're waiting to cross the street and you know you're worried about veering. Well, you could see if the if the zebra stripes or the ladder stripes on the crossing um, were still fresh, they would stand out. So you could see something white there. Now you couldn't see the zebra stripes, but you could you know, in that context, assume those were the zebra stripes, use that to kind of stay straight as you're crossing the street. That's a huge difference, right? Right. So potentially, you know, could make yeah. someone a lot safer. So, And, and there was you, different you, stages too, right, Marks? And and obviously each person would have a different experience with it too. So, I, you know, I, I know some people felt as being part of history, part of the, the process of, of let's see where this goes from here in these early days, 
that it was successful um, as as that starter. Now back to the drawing board. Yeah. So you know, I, I talked to different different folks who've been through it, and they they all have different kind of perspectives, right? Somebody were like, "Well, we knew it was experimental. We knew we were kind of taking a chance." So then there those sort of people, but there's others who kind of really felt like it's just going to get better. They're going to keep improving on it, you know, and eventually, you know, more is going to happen. And this is going to be kind of something fantastic going forward. Um, and the other thing is like some people who didn't get a lot of function out, it still just, just felt very comforted to have that little bit of stimulation, that visual, visual stimulation again, even though it didn't maybe provide a ton of function for them in terms of uh, accomplishing activities of daily living or whatever, but it was just that sensation they really enjoyed, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, now, the the other thing is, when you do see uh, at, at sort of this cutting edge of, especially from from medicine, um, everybody is going into it with different expectations. So I, I remember going to a conference and being kind of, there was a small rehab panel at the end, uh, but most of it was the surgeons talking about doing it. And their interest is not really in improving rehabilitation outcomes. Their interest is in trying a new surgery and being someone who's doing that cool new thing, right? So <laughs> yeah. there's one guy from Texas, and he was saying, they were talking about sutures, and he said, you know, this fellow's all right. I know we all want to be the, the guy who ropes the calf and wins the rodeo, but I think we should do an extra suture. <laughs> so that's kind of their thing. Is they're, they're, they're kind of like the cowboys out there like, trying something new, right? Um, so the, from the rehab end, we're sort of like, well, if it doesn't improve, demonstrably improve your function and what you're doing day to day, sort of your, your, your already existing rehab skills, then what's the point? But then I talk to people who that's not what it's about for them. It's not necessarily. So there's a lot of sort of um, contrasting expectations from different people going into it. And it's hard for, you know, to, to sort out, there's, there's not one answer, right? Like I'm no, a rehab no. specialist, so that's what I want to see happen, yeah. but that's right. not necessarily the case for everybody. And people had to temper themselves on being excited, I'm sure. And some others totally saw what it was for and thought, you know what, I can't see enough anymore. Anyway, my vision's going to, uh, to, to nil. I want to take part in this. So then when we look at it, Mark, let's get into the biomedical future of vision loss treatment and how, for you, in, in the way you see it, how it relates to rehabilitation. Like, how has your experience been teaching with this tool? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's interesting because I think immediately upon using it for the, for the ones who got good function out of it, they acclimatized to it so quickly that they didn't realize, um, that it was supplementing their sort of, uh, their, the techniques that they already had to, to accomplish stuff. And I remember asking uh, previous, so one person I said, you know, I'm, I, I didn't work with you before you had this. So I'm just curious to get the perspective of somebody who has. So I asked another uh, orientation mobility specialist to come and work with her previously. And she was blown away because she said, well, she came downstairs and she walked right through the middle of the doors because before she would trail and find the edge, but she could see mm-hmm. that contrast because there's a frame around the door. And when it opened, she could see that it opened up. Um, she could stay in the middle of the sidewalk. But she, she could see some contrast between the sidewalk and the grass around her condo. So there's a lot that immediately she just, it just became the new normal for her. She didn't experience that as, as a enhanced function anymore, right? It just became something that she did. And uh, she had good skills before that anyway. So I think probably she was already functioning at a high level. So um, it wasn't revolution in, in the way she functioned, but it was 
it was definitely significant to somebody who'd seen her before and after, right? So there's definitely an observable difference. Um, the other thing is, you know, the, the there were a lot of barriers to improving um, the device. At, I guess once you get um, authorization to use it, it takes a long time to get um, a device approved. So by the time that sometimes these things are approved, they're already planning the next device, right? So, but it can't be implemented in the market yet because they don't have approval yet um, from a medical standpoint. Like the the so whatever is being used is always a little bit behind what the kind of the next thing that they're working on. Um, and then what it happens is what you've got to do is then work to improve the thing that you have that's already been implanted versus oh I've got this really we've already come up with this next idea that we think is even better, but since there's no approval for that there, we're going to keep working with what we have. But at some point, um, I mean, it's the nature of, of, of this sort of, uh, cutting edge is that, you know, you don't get funding unless you get a new, a new device that gets people excited again and, and get, and you get, you get the uh, capital behind you. Right. Mm. So, and that's part of what happened too, is because they had a new device called the Orion, um, that was going to bypass the retina and stimulate the brain directly, but with a very similar sort of uh, uh, equipment. Um, but the advantage was that you wouldn't need to have someone who still had some retinal function the way that uh, people at RP did, right? Who were the only ones who uh, the Argus II would be viable for. It's interesting because, uh, as you're saying, there needs to be a next thing. There always is going to be a next thing because it's technology keeps improving, keeps progressing. We keep understanding the way that uh, our our vision works, and all these different conditions are being explored and researched on as well. But it also all of that also means that people need to volunteer and take part in what's really just experimental, right? Like that's that's just the simple way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you know that. Yeah, the people I worked with were very good, like uh, from Second Sight, in you know explaining things. But it's really tough when people have this underlying hope that they're going to see again in, in the traditional sense of, of sight. You know, just like when you when you get a new app, you don't you don't go through the fine print. You just say accept, yeah. accept, accept, right? So yeah. there's always especially that element, if you're like, excited. Are you getting cured of it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, and that's the thing, and that's why we go back to the very beginning is when you were talking about what it means, you know, what this device means, what it can do, and what it means to each individual, because there is no, you know, full slate. There's just what everybody goes through individually right now, and then that comparison, comparative um, information. Mark, we got to wrap it there, but this has been really thought-provoking, and maybe we can continue some kind of conversation about this in the future. Appreciate your time. Yeah, great talking to you too. Mark Rankin is our orientation and mobility instructor. Check him out on the fourth Monday of the month. Boy, lots of great conversations over that in that time uh, that people people were sharing. That's for sure. Folks, we'll step aside for a moment. And coming up, Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin.
Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald. Welcome back. It's Kelly and Company. Thank you. Wherever you're listening in, we appreciate having you on board for the program. Uh, we're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern with our roster of contributors and community reporters. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. So I remember being asked at one point, would I be interested in that surgery for the Argus II? And at that time, I had more vision than I do now. Um, mm-hmm. I think my answer would be the same as much as, uh, you know, hats off to those that were willing to be part of that um, history making, you know, and experimental procedures and stuff like that. It wasn't for me at the time. I, I, I said, no, no, I think right now um, I definitely appreciate that people are moving the needle forward and hopefully we're on the edge of something really special in future um, as we, we think with everything. But uh yeah, what what a hard decision. So I really, you know, to people, especially if you still had some of that usable vision in that eye mm-hmm. and you were giving, you know, willing to give it up for a chance that it uh, might do something. Folks, uh, this time every week we get into knowing our rights. We welcome in Danielle McLaughlin and Danielle, wonderful topic because something we need to discuss. And you've got some great information, i.e. your guests. We'll let you uh, do the honors, please. Well, thank you. I'm uh, extremely pleased that we have a special guest today. Kat Owens is a lawyer and a project director for LEAF's Reproductive Justice Project. Uh, LEAF intervened, which means they weren't um, on one side or the other, but providing very important uh, information to the court, to the Supreme Court of Canada, in a case which focused on the sentencing of Indigenous people who've been convicted of certain criminal offences. Welcome to Kelly and Company, Kat. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, it's a real pleasure. Um, we, have, amongst us, have been talking about how do we speak about the Sharma case because it's a very complicated uh, story. Mm-hmm. And I was so grateful that 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 uh, you were a bit available to join us. Could you give us a bit of background on Leaf? Who, who you know, what is the organization, and on the Sharma case in particular? What are the important facts we should know? Absolutely. So LEAF uh, is short for the Women's Legal Education and Action Fund, and we're a national nonprofit organization. So we use legal cases, uh, law reform advocacy, and public education to try and advance substantive gender equality, uh, meaning gender equity rights uh, here in Canada. Uh, In terms of the the Sharma case, let me give you a little bit of the important background facts. Uh, So Ms. Sharma is a a young Indigenous woman. She is an intergenerational residential school survivor, and she's a low-income single mother. Uh, She faced homelessness for herself and her young child, and as a result, uh, agreed to bring cocaine into Canada for her boyfriend. And so Ms. Sharma was caught at the border as she came in uh, with the cocaine. She was charged with importing drugs, uh, and she pleaded guilty to that offense. So she had no criminal record, and she asked the judge to be given a conditional sentence. And a, a conditional sentence is it's kind of like house arrest. You don't have to go to jail, but there's still a lot of conditions on whether or not you can leave your home. Um, But there was a provision in the criminal code that said that the judge could not give a conditional sentence if the person had been convicted of specific types of offenses and importing drugs was one of those. So as a result, Ms. Sharma ended up going to jail for 18 months. 
Now, I understood that um, the Canadian justice system has been very concerned about the overrepresentation of Indigenous people in its uh, prisons and jails, particularly women, who I think represent a uh, you know a, a huge percentage, uh, uh, Indigenous women I should say, who represent a really large percentage of of the people in in women's prisons. And there was something called the Gladue case, which um, I was under the impression would look at somebody's indigeneity and take that into consideration when they were sentenced. Did this not apply in Ms. Sharma's case? That is a a really good question. And so, yes, it did apply in Ms. Sharma's case. And so the judge had to consider the unique experiences of Indigenous peoples in Canada, like you said. So that means thinking about things like colonialism, the loss of language, residential schools, and the child welfare system, uh, and that the judge would be required to consider options other than jail. And so in this case, the judge would say, probably if you asked him, that he did apply these glad do principles, and he did consider Ms. Sharma's Indigenous status, but in this case, he couldn't impose a conditional sentence, and it wasn't appropriate to do another kind of sentence that didn't impose jail. So just sentence her to probation, for example. So he would say that he considered her Indigenous status, but ultimately had to send her to jail. And that's that's really the problem in this case, is that when you take an option like a conditional sentence off the table, it means that more people go to jail. And just to the, the point that you made um, first, um, Danielle, I would say, yeah, at this point, we have... Indigenous women in Canada make up 4% of uh, the, the female population in Canada and over 50% of female um, incarcerated people in federal custody, which is absolutely appalling. It's, it's shocking if you, if you think about it. And you would, you would think that the justice system would be looking at multiple ways to, um, well, right that wrong. Is, is, I mean, obviously people need to pay the penalty if they commit an offense, but there are different ways in which people can pay penalties. Um, When can a court consider a conditional sentence? So there, uh, there are a few conditions that require that are required to be met before a judge can consider this type of sentence. So the sentence uh, has to be less than two years. So in this case, um, Ms. Sharma, it was 18 months, so that's less than two years. Um, the offense can't have a mandatory minimum sentence. Um, so in this case, importing drugs initially did have a mandatory minimum sentence, but the, the sentencing judge actually said that that was unconstitutional and so struck that down. So that barrier wouldn't apply for Ms. Sharma either. Uh, it, the judge needs to be satisfied that there wouldn't be any threat to the safety of the community if you let the person serve their sentence in the community. And again, here with Ms. Sharma, we have someone with no criminal record. Not, there was no violence involved whatsoever, so there's no community threat. And the judge would need to be satisfied that having the person serve their sentence in their community would be consistent with the sentencing principles in the criminal code. So those are things like taking into account how blameworthy a person is, how serious the offense was, do we need to say, hey, this conduct is really bad, we need to send a strong message, 
Are we going to look to rehabilitate the person, help them to get reintegrated into society? But the big thing for when you can consider a conditional sentence that was relevant here was that there were a list of different kinds of crimes that were completely barred from getting a criminal Mm. sentence. And so that included importing drugs. And I'll talk a bit about how that's actually not the case anymore. That has changed since this decision came out. But at the time, that was the issue. So that was what what kept her at, in in jail for a year, a year and a half. That, yeah, that, as opposed yeah. to getting to serve that conditional sentence at at home or or in, in some other fashion. So this this was decided at, at a lower a court. Um, how did it get up to the Supreme Court? What what happened to take it to the Supreme Court? So the the lower court judge found that um, these provisions, the ones that said no conditional sentences for offenses like importing drugs, the judge found that that was constitutional. So Ms. Sharma appealed that decision to the Ontario Court of Appeal. And so the Ontario Court of Appeal heard the case and a majority, so two out of the three judges, actually agreed with Ms. Sharma. And they said, no, you know what? This discriminates against you based on your race, so it violates your equality rights. And they said it also violates your rights to life, liberty, and security of the person under the charter. Um, And so that we thought that was a really positive outcome, and the court really understood sort of the impact of colonization, of anti-Indigenous racism in this country, and it was a really positive decision. Um, the, The Crown then appealed that up to the Supreme Court of Canada And unfortunately, the majority there, it was a five to four split, we call it, meaning five of the judges agreed on one thing and the other four agreed on a different thing. And the majority there at the Supreme Court didn't agree with the Court of Appeal. They agreed with the trial judge and they said, no, you know what, this doesn't violate your rights. This is something that the government's entitled to do. You haven't shown that there's a connection between these provisions and the high rates of incarceration of Indigenous women in Canada, so the law stands. Wow. So that would be, uh, using those terms, it would be kind of difficult to to demonstrate that a law is unfair. Would it, it, you know, if if you say that, well, if you're importing drugs, it doesn't matter who you are, we can't give you less than, what is it, I guess it's less than two years uh, 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 or whatever the, 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 the amount of time is. Yeah. That, that then how does a judge take into consideration all of the aspects that you mentioned when you talked about Ms. Sharma's particular case? Exactly. And that, that's what Leaf argued and what a lot of the other groups argued in front of the Supreme Court. And, and what we said, too, was that, well, actually, Ms. Sharma herself is a pretty good example about how this law increases how many Indigenous women are in jail. If you look at Ms. Sharma, Without this law, there's a really good chance that she wouldn't have gone to jail, that she would have gotten the conditional sentence. And so that's a clear example of the link between the law and what is called like the discriminatory impact, because it makes there be a higher level of Indigenous representation in jail. That That's, yeah, I mean, so, so the Supreme Court split on, on this decision. Is there any part of the outcome with the Supreme Court's decision that, that um, you know, would benefit people like Ms. Sharma in, in the future? I mean, there's a very strong dissent. Um, well, and well. so those are, 
that's the four judges that came down on a on a different side. I mean, it is interesting to note um, that since the decision came out, uh, the makeup of the Supreme Court has changed because Justice Moldaver has retired, um, and we have a new judge, um, Justice Abomswin, who is Canada's first Indigenous Supreme Court judge. So if a case like this went up, you would have different people considering it. Um, so that that could potentially make a difference. Um, and then outside of the Supreme Court, I would say um, that the one positive thing that's come out of this is that the federal government recently passed a law called Bill C-5, uh, which actually got rid of some of the limits on conditional sentences, including the limit that was at issue in this case. So now if a person is convicted for importing drugs, uh, a judge actually can consider a conditional sentence. It's interesting. I remember, you know, many hundreds of years ago when, when um, I was working with Canadian Civil Liberties, which also intervened uh, in many cases before the Supreme Court, mm -hmm. one of the things that that we learned was watch the dissent, you know, the, the, the opinion that doesn't win the day, um, because it might come back in law later on. And I guess this is, this is a, maybe not, it, what may not be exactly the dissent that came back in Bill C-5, but it sounds as if um, somebody was listening and was concerned about people like Ms. Sharma, who really uh, don't benefit uh, from spending that long in jail, and, and Canada doesn't benefit when somebody like this spends that long in jail. You know, what, one of the, the things that uh, I know goes back and forth like a pendulum is the, the whether minimum mandatory sentencing is in favor or isn't in favor. Um, you know, there, there are mm -hmm. people who feel that it really does help prevent crime if you, um, you know, if, if you make sure that, that criminals know that they're going to serve, you know, a long time in prison. The one thing that that doesn't take into consideration is most criminals don't think they're going to get caught. So, you know, if, if you do uh, think that they actually know which crimes carry a minimum mandatory sentence and which ones don't, uh, that would be wrong um, because most most people have no idea which ones have and which ones haven't uh, got a minimum mandatory sentence and whether you'll be eligible for uh, you know, a, a, a conditional sentence isn't going to enter the mind of somebody who doesn't think that they aren't going to be caught for doing what it is they're doing. So, you know, the 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 the, the why of, of these of these long sentences really isn't fulfilled very well. Mm -hmm. So, what are the next steps that Leaf plans to take uh, following this this decision? Now that you've got the the bill C five, which is a definitely a move in the in a in a safer direction, shall we say? What what else is Leaf planning to do around this this issue? That's a great question. Um, so when Bill C five was initially proposed, um, we worked with two other advocacy organizations, uh, the Canadian Association of Elizabeth Fry Societies and the Black Legal Action Center to put together a submission that said, hey, you know what, D government, like, this is great. This is a really great first step, um, but there's a lot more that you can do. So we're going to keep pushing for some of the, the other things that we included in that submission. So one of those is to get rid of all mandatory minimum sentences. We know that they don't make us safer. We know that they don't deter crime. They, they All they do is 
contribute to mass incarceration in this country. Um, and so it's time that we moved past those um, and, and we erased those from our criminal code. Um, we'll also, there are still some limits that remain on judges being able to consider conditional sentences. So we're going to continue to, to push for changes to that to give judges more discretion or more ability to think about what the, what the appropriate sentence is for the person in front of them. Uh, and we're also going to continue to advocate for the government to implement the calls to justice from the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Inquiry. There's a long list there of things that the government and that all sorts of governments and, and folks outside of government can do to improve our response to violence against Indigenous women and girls um, and to prevent violence against Indigenous women and girls. And so LEAF will continue to advocate for those calls for justice as well. Well, thank you so much, Kat. I really appreciate your coming on uh, Kelly and Company to help us understand this important case and also the important issue around sentencing, which we don't always spend a lot of time thinking about, perhaps ought to. Thanks so much for your help. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. You too. That was LEAF Project Director Kat Owens joining us today to talk about the Sharma decision at the Supreme Court of Canada. Wow, what a wonderful conversation to enlighten all of us, ladies and gentlemen. Coming up next, as we step aside for a couple of moments, we wrap up the show and we'll take a look at what's coming up on the next edition of Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Please stick around. I wonder if we're going to keep that uh, tune when we move the TV. You want to? I like that one. You know I do. That, that's one of my favorites. We've kept it for a few cycles because it just works so well at the yeah. end of the show. I think. Just a minute. Putting my hand up voting. Yay, yay, yay. Uh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the program. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald. We are the hosts of the show. We want to remind you to check out the Kelly and Company podcast. While you're in there, after you subscribe, please give us a rating and review. Just simply search Kelly and Company AMI-audio. Lots of great podcast content, and we'll share more of that with you throughout the week, as we usually do on the show. But let's look back on this program. Ramya? All right. Well, I mean, our conversation with Mark Rankin a couple segments ago um, on... Really, he was talking about the Argus 2 um, device, right, this implant, and how it changes the way that we think of rehab, right? Rehab as in independent living or orientation and mobility, all these different ways that we uh, get to know the world. Let's say our vision is deteriorating or um, we're experiencing how to live with blindness and how technology can really... <laughs> change things in that way. So, so much of what we know O&M as traditionally is changing because of all this new technology, changing technology, upgrading technology, and uh, yet it stays pretty individual as well for people. Mm -hmm. So that was a really fascinating um, and philosophical conversation that we had. Well, and you look at the work you have to do in training somebody when it comes to uh, mobility, uh, living skills at home, whatever it might be, and if they've had that change, but more mostly the perception that may change, the 
what someone had, whether you've worked with them or not, do you follow yeah. along? Can you, can you obviously, you know, these people are gifted with the changes they can do in the sense of understanding what someone may be able to see, may not be able to see, and, and as they get to know the person. But it, it, these, as we look ahead, they really change what could be in the future in different ways of, of working that out and sudden change that, oh, wow, that's right. A few weeks ago, you didn't do things that way. So very interesting segment with Mark. Check it out via the Kelly and Company podcast. Also, if you have to, if you can't be with the gang over at Now at Dave Brown at 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tv, their show available via podcast. Paul Daniel arrives to tell us a little bit about what's coming up on tomorrow's show with a preview. Hey, sir. Hey, Kelly. Tomorrow's show will have the triumphant return of Dave Brown through a host chair after a much-deserved vacation. Louise Levesque Burley, our community reporter in Moncton, New Brunswick, will tell us about, will tell us about the blind... Uh, Blind in Mind Braille Superstore, who are providing a service for the holiday season, where customers can create their own, can can, can order their own Braille chocolate greeting cards. Nice. So, yeah. Mm. And Nelson Rego from Cool Blind Tech will tell us about a recent study published in the journal Eye Science that concludes AirPods can help people who are living with hearing loss. And tomorrow we'll have our new we'll have our news quiz with Alex Smythe, Karen McGee, and Ryan Delahanty. It is our weekly clash to the Titans. Uh, very good. And uh, Fedora's off to Alex Smythe, a great yeoman's work filling he in for Dave uh, for his real first time doing that, right? Mm-hmm. He did a uh, fine job. It was very impressive. That and welcome well. back, Dave. Uh, awesome, Paul. Thank you, pal. Take care, Kelly. Paul Daniel, one of the producers over there at Now at Dave Brown. Once again, their show available with Dave's arrival back on the program, Now at Dave Brown at 9 a.m. in the morning. Here uh, over there on AMI TV, so do check it out, and you can find it also available to you as an AMI podcast. Ramya, we're back at it tomorrow. I'll uh, talk to you then. Talk to you then. Big thanks to Matt Agnew for teching the program today, folks. How do we know when our pet skipping a meal is a problem? Doctor Danielle Johnkind talks to us about the ins and outs of our pet's appetites tomorrow. On our wellness chat, Francis Wong shares how you can use mindful uh, eating to manage your habits. Community uh, reporter Julie Martin joins us on the program. She's going to highlight the International Blind Cafe Facebook group started recently by a gentleman in Winnipeg. And on our book club, we review The Diamond Eye by Kate Quinn with the recommender of the novel as she returns back to the program, Julie Martin. Turn the page with us starting at 2 p.m. Eastern, ladies and gentlemen, here on AMI-audio. I'm waving at you. Good night, folks. members of the Kelly and Company team, and this is my first ever vanity card. So hopefully I will be part of the rotation here. I'll get to just chat, share a little bit uh, about myself and what I'm passionate about, and occasionally maybe get on a soapbox or two, which is what I would like to do today. I love Vancouver, but one thing that really drives me crazy about this city is their lack of interest in having accessible lights around the city. You know, there's so many places, even if you go outside of Vancouver into Metro Vancouver uh, or in some American cities, 
uh, where there's just some amazing lights. They announce a countdown. They announce the direction you're going, the street you're crossing. Uh, they beep. They have a vibration as well if you want to just double check that you're facing the right direction or for someone with a uh, hearing loss. Uh, and uh, it's just amazing. It also really helps with those tricky intersections where there are turn signals that can pop up, stuff like that. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. Uh, but in Vancouver, most of what I've seen, especially around downtown, are just a few scattered uh chirps and cuckoos at the lights there's nothing that you can actually physically press to trigger the light or really line up with and the worst is that they actually turn them off after hours and when i say after hours i mean sometimes seven o'clock or eight o'clock at night i have spoken to the city and they've made it pretty clear that they're not really interested in addressing this issue i know some blind people do absolutely amazing advocacy and this is something that i'm really considering taking forward because honestly if you have a date or you've been out with some friends or you're whatever you're moving you get back late from travel and it's 2 a.m and you want to cross the street with an accessible light you should have the right to do that because after all we have the right to have mobility in this country so uh definitely something to think about maybe advocate for in the future thank you and hopefully i'll be back soon with another soapbox or something a little lighter have a fantastic weekend hi i'm red sale inviting you to download the latest episode of my life in books where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives their work and three books that have resonated with them that's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.